Are any of you disappointed I didn't show the whole video? <laughs> some of you just slipped back into uh, junior high school, didn't you? Or for some of you, it's elementary school. Or for some of you, it went back even further, right? <clears throat> so uh, did, are you amazed that uh, Schoolhouse Rock uh, had at least two references to Scripture in their uh, three is the magic number? Okay, all right, wow. <clears throat> Well, the sermon today is about the digression of Schoolhouse Rock from a Christ-centric uh, philosophy of education to a worldview that is humanistic and... No, I'm kidding. We are uh, starting a series. Uh, we're going back into the book of Colossians, which we were studying before Christmas and uh, took a break from. We're going back into it, and we're in a little mini-series that's going to cover the chapter of Colossians chapter 2, and it's a series of three. Matter of fact, it's the big three. We're going to talk about uh, Paul's Mammoth Three today, and then over the next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about the three things that he thought were critical for us to understand. So uh, hang on, let me, um, let me get this. You can turn to Colossians chapter 2 if you have a Bible. And uh, ah, thank you, bro. If you don't have a Bible and you're cold, just get real close to the person nearest you that does have a Bible. And... Uh, I want to remind you about uh, what's happening here, because, thank you, the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this book while he was in prison in Rome, and he was awaiting his execution. And earlier in his life, he had gone on three missionary journeys that are mapped out for us in the book of Acts, and one of the places that he visited was a place called Ephesus. And while he was there and preached the gospel, there was a man named Epaphras that heard Paul teach and actually became a believer because Paul was preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ. And it so radically changed his life, and it so reoriented his life toward a new Christ-centered understanding of himself and how to live his life and how to live out passion and how to live out purpose that he became a missionary for his own hometown. So he went back to Colossae, and he began to preach the very gospel that Paul had preached to him that had changed his life. You tracking with me? So he's back there, and he's moving and grooving, and man, people are coming to know the Lord, and so they start a church. And I want you to remember that uh, Epaphras probably had less, as, less understanding of the gospel than you do right here. Okay? I mean, think about, when you think about the book of Acts, if you've ever read it, you know, uh, how long did it take from the early believers of 3,000 saved at Pentecost to when God scattered them? You know how long it was? It was shorter than you think. And the question I have is, why would God scatter them? They didn't go through Discipleship 101. You know, they, they weren't prepared. They didn't go to seminary. And yet God scattered them as the seeds that he wanted to plant his church all over the known world. So Epaphras was doing this. He was living out of the mission of the reality that his life had been changed. So they had gotten this church together, and uh, it started to hit some hard times. Some people started sneaking into the church, and they were bringing a different philosophy. They were bringing a different teaching that was not Christ-centered. And Epaphras didn't know what to do. And so he loved this community so much. He loved this group of people so desperately that he said, I've got to go to Paul. I mean, he's the main source. I've got to go and find out what to do. And I need him to write a letter that I can bring back to these people. The problem is, is that Colossae and Rome were almost a thousand miles away from one another. So Epaphras began this long, 
hard journey of nearly a thousand miles to find Paul to say to him, would you please write something that I can take back to our people to help guide them through this crisis? The crazy thing about Epaphras is that once he got the letter, then he had to make the trip back. It nearly took him, I, we can just guess, but almost a year of his life to get this letter. Isn't that remarkable? Like, when was the last time you took a year of your life to deliver a message? Okay. So what did he say? Here it is. Chapter 2. I want you to know, this is Paul speaking, I want you to know how much I struggle for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Let's stop there just for a minute. Because we got to grasp that how weird this is. Okay, he's not met these people. He doesn't know them. And the first thing he's telling them in chapter 2 is, I want you to know how much I suffer for you. How much I'm in agony because of you. Now, you may say, well, that's the Bible. The Bible always says stuff that's weird that doesn't really relate to today. But, I mean, think about when was the last time you went to one of your friends and y'all are having coffee at the frothy and, you know, you lean over and you say, hey, you know, I know we're here to talk about life and stuff. But before we begin, can I just tell you, I just want to inform you how much I suffer being your friend. I'm trying to put it in context. Or imagine a wife. They're, they're on their, uh, you know, they're on their, this, uh, what do you call it when you're celebrating? Uh, anniversary, all right? And you're on your anniversary and you're like, you know, let's, you know what you do on your anniversary? Let's talk about all the great things we've had happen over the years and our dreams for the future. But before we do that, I just want to express to you in vivid color uh, how much agony I have been in being married to you. Does that not seem strange to you? We just don't do that, do we? We just kind of shrug, oh, yeah, it's nothing. I know that's blood all over the ground, but hey, no, nah, it's nothing. Struggling, sweating, bleeding. The word actually here is the word agony, which was taken from the name of the arena that they used for the Olympics. It was the name of the arena. It was the place where men fought one another, sweat, bled in competition, and in essence, that's what suffering became called, agony. It's the Greek word we get agony from. And Paul says, I am in that for you. So why? Why would he tell him this? Let's keep reading. Because it says in, in verse 2, my purpose for telling you this, see the Bible so hard to understand, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here's Paul, is his big three. There are three things that he has on his mind. He wants them to know. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be united in love. And he wants them to be united in understanding. And these three different things, when we study this this morning, I don't want us to separate these three things as if they're independent of one another. Rather, I want you to understand that these things, that they're linked to one another. That to understand one, you have to understand part of the other. It's kind of like, um, if, when you were a kid, did you ever play the game Red Rover? Yes? Are y'all awake this morning? Matter of fact, let's play it right now, all right? So with this side, get up and lock arms together 
because it's a game where you lock arms with your friends. And let me tell you, you know, some of you cheat when you play Red Rover, all right? I just want you to know, this is not allowed in Red Rover. That's not locking with your friend. That's locking with yourself, all right? Or those who cheat with, with the pocket lock. You know what I'm talking about? They put their hands in their pocket. You can't break that bond. Come on. Now, that's not, that's not Red Rover. Red Rover is that you are independently locked with the people next to you. And what you do is you form a line, and then you, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Joel right over. That's dangerous. And then they come running, you know, and they try to break the bond, right? And if they break the bond, what happens? Uh, they take somebody back. I want to propose to you today that Paul was thinking about Red Rover when he wrote this. Because he is linking these three things together. They are linked together. And he is challenging these early believers. Don't let anything break the bond of these three things in your life. Let me explain. If you look at verse 8, it says, See to it. Now remember, Paul's talking about Red Rover. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. That word captive there actually is literally translated kidnapped. Don't let anybody kidnap you. In other words, don't let any philosophy, don't let anything that you face in this world, don't let anything that you understand and see in your world break the bond of these three things. Because if it does, it's going to grab you and it's going to kidnap you to the other side. It's going to take you away from the power of what Christ is doing in you. So, let's talk about these for just a minute. Because this word right here, to be encouraged, this is really important. And this is powerful. This is a powerful thing in our lives. Matter of fact, I want to exp express you a little bit about how powerful it was in Paul's life. In Colossians chapter 1, just look over in verse 24. This is what Paul says. Now I rejoice... He's saying, I am encouraged. I have courage in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's affections for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul wasn't saying that when Christ died on the cross, that wasn't a completed work, and now Paul has to add something to it. What Paul was saying is because what Christ did on the cross is complete, now his kingdom moves forward. But his kingdom, as it moves forward, it moves forward at a price. We are contending for the hearts and souls of people. And in that process, blood is going to be shed. People are going to suffer. People died. And Paul is saying, I rejoice that I'm a part of that kingdom moving forward. And it's marked by the pain that I'm experiencing in my life. Now think about this, because I'm telling you right now, if you can grasp this, if you can take this salve and slap it on your life, it is going to mess you up. It is going to just so freak you out that you would find joy or encouragement in the middle of suffering. It's crazy. We were talking the other day, Joel and I, about uh, ultra marathons. These are those completely sane people that run a marathon and they say, hey, that wasn't enough. And they turn around and run it again. And they go, hey, that wasn't enough either. And they turn around and run it again. They go, hey, you want to do it one more time? What are you doing for dinner? Let's go. And then they run it again. Over 100 miles. So we were talking and uh, I said, well, 
bro, the craziest of crazy has to be the ultra marathon called Badwater. Have any of y'all heard of this? Badwater is a 135 mile race. But get this, through Death Valley. The temperatures average 115 degrees. When these people run through Death Valley in this race, they wear full body suits, like these white paperish, because if they if expose any skin, it's just going to cook right off of them. And this is the remarkable thing about this, that people actually finish this race. But they talk about how when they run down the road, they have to run on the white strip that marks the lanes because it's cooler than the road. Because when they run on the road, it actually melts the bottom of their shoes. Come on. Is anybody sitting here going, yeah, I'm going to do that? There's somebody. I know there is. All right, come on. Admit it. Is there anybody here that would say, I would like to have that on my resume, that I did that? Would anybody like to know somebody that did that? All right, there you go. Would anybody like to watch the short version, maybe 10 minutes on YouTube, and say, hey, I saw it. There, all right. And I'm just trying to put this in the category because we don't do this. We don't say, how you doing? Man, I am suffering. Thank God. I am rejoicing in the pain that I'm experiencing because you are in my life. We don't, do we? It seems crazy. Unless we understand the foundation of our encouragement. Unless we understand. See, here, I, boy, I pray that I won't go too long with you guys, but you've got to understand something. And I just want to let you in on a little secret. You have been set up. You, I'm serious. Today, right now, this minute, not yesterday. That was yesterday. Right now, you've been set up. Whatever has brought you here today, whatever in your life that you laugh and go, <laughs> I can't do that. You have been so set up that the divine plan of God would bring you in this room with everything you got going on, all the things you want to talk about, all the things you'll never talk about, all the things that hurt you and all the things that you wish would stop hurting you. Everything, God has set you up so that you could come in here at this point in time and hear something and dare your heart to believe something that is crazy and outrageous is running across Death Valley 135 miles. Okay, if you're, if you're daring to say, okay, maybe. Join with me on this journey. Because Paul says, I pray that you would be united in love. Now let's talk about this because Paul understood something here. He understood that suffering had the ability to knit us together. He wanted to share with them that he was suffering because he wanted the community at Colossae to be united with him. He wanted them to share in his suffering and to know that together they suffer for something that's more important than just themselves. What Paul is inviting them to think about, to consider, what he's inviting us to consider is to make room in our lives for people. Now let me explain. I'm not talking about dating. You know, dating is fun because at dating you can pretend to be anybody you want to be. I mean, seriously, right? I mean, you dress up and you cover all your body odors with perfumes and stuff, you know, and you don't burp and you, you clean out your nostrils. You know, you do all that kind of stuff because, you know, you're trying, you're trying to pretend, all right, that maybe you don't smell after going running, you know, or something like that. 
And that's dating because dating is very superficial and it's shallow. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, I want you to make room in your life for each other. See, Paul was doing this. The reason that he was suffering is because he was carrying the burden of what they were going through in Colossae. He understood that serious things were at stake. Just like this morning, serious things are at stake. People have been praying for you. People have been on their knees for you. Imagine that Epaphras in chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to understand that Epaphras is suffering for you in prayer. When was the last time you suffered for somebody in prayer? They were paying the price because they had made room in their life. Let me explain. You know, when I turn on the television, I see, you know, a thousand are homeless in Bolivia because of a giant mudslide. I'm like you, you know, where I'm not, I'm not without compassion. I'm like, well, that's, wow, look at that mud. Oh, that must have been hard. What's for breakfast? You know, I'm ready to move on. It's great information. That's all it is. It's information. But my daughter, you know, if she came home and said, you know, I'm just so upset because Susie didn't sit next to me at lunch today. Such a trivial thing. It'll wreck me, you know. Oh, honey, sit down. Let's talk. Because I've made room for her in my life, and her pain becomes my pain. Her burdens become my burden. Isn't it beautiful when people do that for us? When they make room to be inconvenienced in their lives by the struggles that we endure in ours. This is uh, Henry Nouwen uh, from the book The Road of Today Break. He said, when we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it's those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and to touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and facing with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. Isn't it true? Somebody who will make room in our lives and say, I am willing to hurt for you, and I'm willing to hurt with you. Renee, my wife, uh, the other day, actually this week, this is fresh, red hot, right off the press. We had a discussion uh, about our budget, and uh, I seriously discourage couples from doing that right after Christmas. <laughs> It does not uh, bring thoughts of baby Jesus to mind. So because, uh, because we are perfect people, it became an argument. And uh, I mean, it became a good argument, like the kind where we both had to say, okay, <clears throat> time out. Okay, put down the baseball bat. We are gonna, we're going to walk away from this topic and forget it. So she went one way and I went the other. We didn't resolve it. We didn't bring any resolution. It was just, you know, and then, ah! Have you ever been in that kind of a relationship where you've got somebody, you walk away, and you just want to love them to death? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? If you've never had that experience, hang with me, because Jesus is inviting you there. I'm serious. So, uh, the next day, I was like, okay, I can't dream of any more ways to, uh, to arrange an accident for Renee, so I guess we're going to have to resolve this. 
Here was the, the question that brought us back together. Because the topic, please stay with me, okay? I need your help today, because some of this is going to get a little mundane, but stay with The topic was our budget, okay? But that wasn't the issue. The topic was, how's our money going? Where are we going to spend it? Now that the new year is coming up, how are we going to live? But that wasn't the issue. So this is the question, the question of love. Help me understand. Get this. Not the budget. Help me understand you. What's going on? What's underneath this topic of budget that made it so difficult for you and I to talk about this? Because when you say that question, help me understand you, guess where it takes us? Fears. It takes us to places where we doubt. It takes us to places that we have a hard time believing. It takes us from places, our past history. I mean, imagine that you're married to somebody that never had any money, okay? And when they spent money, they would never buy anything unless they had a coupon. Buying anything full price was tantamount to adultery, you know? That your family budget was so tight that you had to plan every purchase. And imagine them being married to someone who grew up in a family where they had lots of money. And they didn't even know that there were people in the world that actually balanced checkbooks. Like, really? Like, do you look at your credit card statement? Right? And imagine these two people coming together and learning how to love one another. Because no matter what side of that equation you're on or somewhere in the middle, you know what's involved there? Baggage. Pain. Struggle. Struggle to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for our own lives. Help me to understand you. But that's a dangerous question. Because when you say that to somebody else, guess what you're going to get? An answer. And here's the beauty of what Paul is saying in our personal illustration. Now, <laughs> remember, they're linked together. Why does he want us to press into one another? Because he wants us to understand something. What does he want us to understand? Here are the words, back to Colossians chapter 2. He says this, starting in verse 3. Our, so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that in loving one another, that making room for, for other people into my life, for me willing to suffer and learning how to love and learning how to be loved, brings me into understanding of the mystery of God. Well, this mystery, it's not mysterious. It's not like a mystic potion. It's not like it's going to be continually mysterious. The way that Paul uses the word here in the Greek, he's actually talking about something that was hidden, but now has been revealed. Once it was unknown, now the mystery is revealed. And that mystery is not a potion. It's not a, it's not a map. It's not a treasure map. It's a person. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ. That God in the flesh does what? He steps into our lives. That God says, I'm making room for you in my life. I desire for you to be a part of my equation. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your soul. Imagine the God of the universe saying to us, come to me all who are weary and burdened. 